are in the best sermon ever, all right? Second weekend, and last week there was a little confusion. Uh, one of the kids thought it was, I was preaching the best sermon ever, and I, I, reminded, I reminded them that, uh, no, I don't preach the best sermon ever. We'll leave that to the Lord, and uh, it's the Sermon on the Mount that we're looking at. But before we get to it today, I just do want to say happy Mother's Day to our mothers out there, grandmothers out there, great-grandmothers out there. Is any great-great-grandmother out there today? Okay. Anyone else? There's no way. You're not a day over 60. How can that be? No, I'm kidding. All right, yes. I also want to just, uh, I, I always like to share this. Mother's Day is hard for some people, and, and we acknowledge that. That doesn't mean we don't celebrate it, but we acknowledge that. Maybe some of you had... Um, extremely difficult times with your mother, such as I did. Maybe uh, you didn't get to know your mother. Maybe you're like me. Your mother has already passed away. Uh, maybe you wanted to be a mother and you've not been able to be a mom. Maybe you've lost a child, in which that happened to my family as well. So we acknowledge all those things. And what I want to, to say to that, in fact, there's some folks who are watching online today because it's just too painful to come to church on Mother's Day, and I understand that. What I want to let you know and what I was reminded of is the, a song we just sang a minute ago, this lyric. Let me read it to you. I am chosen, not forsaken. You are for me, not against me. I am a child of God. And I'm not God, but I'm going to tell you what, God has chosen us all. Any person who is a mom or not a mom, it is not surprising to the Lord because he is the creator. He is the holder of everything. Jesus keeps it all together. We could go on and on. So just rest in that, that we're all children of God and we have that opportunity to have that relationship with him. And so whatever we're going through, it's, uh, it's not a surprise to him. He chose us. Isn't that amazing? I, I sat there this morning and again thought, uh, a little boy in a messed up family, I was thinking about Mother's Day and some of the crazy stuff we went through, and, and yet God still chose me, drew me to his side, gave me faith to place my faith and trust in him and gloriously save me. Isn't that amazing? I hope that's your testimony this morning as we think about that. All right, Mother's Day, wow. Okay. So... Uh, I'm going through the Sermon on the Mount as it comes, and so I'm sorry, today is entitled Grief and Comfort on Mother's Day. <laughs> Blessed are they that mourn. That's okay, though. We're going to follow right along with that, all right? And so, uh, David, you did a great job, and our worship team, great job in, in highlighting all that today. Amen. I'm always amazed how you clap for them, but not me, just not. But you do laugh at me. Thank you. All right. I appreciate that. So we're going to be Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. And have you know, have you, any of you noticed something that's going on right now? Have you noticed, no matter where you go, how many job openings there are lately? It blows me. Anybody? Have you gone to a restaurant and noticed what they're doing? I was in a restaurant the other day, and some guy was angry with the hostess, and he's like, there's a whole section of the restaurant that's open back there. And she had explained to them, we can't open that section because we only have a certain amount of servers, right? 
Could I just say, Hoppetown Church, can we be different? Can you be nice to the servers? And don't slip them a tract and leave them a sorry tip. I'm telling you what, don't do that, okay? But it, it's everywhere, almost everywhere you go, it's that way. One of my doctors thought he was going to have to close his practice for a little while because he couldn't get employees. It's just crazy. It, it's everywhere. It, it's even in church. We have job openings. But I've got one I want you to think about this morning. Are you ready? Professional weeper wanted. Have you seen that one? No, you haven't seen that one. But it's been around for a long time. In Bible times, when someone died, the family members would let out a loud death wail that all the neighbors could hear. This was to inform them that a death had occurred. And there were even mourners who were hired, are you ready for this, to weep for the deceased. These were mainly women who made a career out of doing this. I'm not exaggerating. They were, in fact, professional weepers. Uh, then, if you think about biblical times, grief was shown by wearing itchy, scratchy sackcloth. There was the tearing of clothes. I just read this morning in the Bible, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm right there where, where David's consequences of his sin is coming back and his, his son is killed and there's Absalom and all that and, 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 and he's ripping his clothes in mourning. There was the taking off of shoes, the covering of heads. Dirt and ashes were used in all this. And mourning back then could last as long as seven days. The first three consisted of weeping, especially at the tomb. For some reason they thought that they would feel closer to the departed if they were there mourning at the, the tomb or the grave. There was no washing going on, no studying going on, no work, no business was done. And the fourth day was traumatic. This is when many believe that the soul finally departed the body on the fourth day. And there were men and women, and they're seated apart, and they would beat upon their chest, and men would shave their heads. They would cut their beards. Often women would cut their hair as well. And it went on and on and on. And we get to verse 4 in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, and we see, blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted. I got to thinking about that. People mourn for a variety of reasons, don't they? Not just in the Bible, but even here today. But what does this scripture mean? Well, I want to tell you something. In the New Testament, there are nine Greek words that can be used to speak of sorrow, which to me reflects how common it is in life. There are that many different words. But the word used here in verse 4 is the word pentheo. And I want to tell you something about this word. It is the strongest and it is the most severe. It represents the very deepest, the most heartfelt grief. And it was generally reserved when someone spoke it or wrote it for grieving over the death of a loved one. So here's the big idea today. Primarily, I'm using that word today, primarily, we are to grieve over our spiritual bankruptcy and sin. So let's look at it. Let's go back to verse 1, and then we'll read all the way to verse 4. When he saw the crowds, remember that compassion Jesus had? He went up to the mountain, went up on the mountain, 
And after he sat down, and his disciples came to him, then he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, because the king blessed are the poor in spirit, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Do you remember that from last week? When we talked about the poor in spirit being spiritual poverty, bankruptcy, realizing I'm lost, I'm a sinner, and I need a savior. And then we get to verse four, which progresses on from verse three. Blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would speak to us today. God, my prayer has been that conviction will fall over this room this morning. And God, I continue to pray. I pray right now, God, that you would begin convicting us in the way that only you can. That the Holy Spirit would just be all over us today. And for those watching online as well, wherever they are. And that we would really seriously consider the words of Jesus this morning. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Blessed are those who mourn, because they will be comforted. First point, just two points today. The first one is good grief. You're like, wait, what a minute, good grief? How can that be? Well, the phrase good grief came into use around 1900, and it was a milder oath that would express surprise or annoyance. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and say it. So it, it started to come into vogue. Instead of saying good God, which I would not recommend, or good Lord, which I would not recommend, they inserted good grief. Kind of like we do today, don't we? Don't we today? We say darn and other things. Yeah, sure we do. We sure we do. So that's how it got going. But guess what? Good grief, that phrase became extremely well-known in the 1950s. Are you aware of this? Because it was frequently used by a guy named Charlie Brown. Oh, oh, yeah. Good grief. But, but today what I want to do with this is look at grief that is good eternally. Grief that is good eternally. Let's begin with some pertinent comments about this verse. MacArthur defined it this way. We're talking about mourning sorrow that grief all that kind of stuff it's godly sorrow that produces repentance leading to salvation without regret and immediately i was reminded about second corinthians 7 10. listen to second corinthians 7 10. listen to the words of this verse for godly grief produces a repentance not to be regretted and leading to salvation but ready for this worldly grief produces death so already we're seeing the contrast. In the Wycliffe commentary, they say it is a sense of anguish for sin. And in Isaiah 61, we read this. The Lord has sent me to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes the oil of joy for mourning. Let's continue on. New American Commentary, uh, Professor Blomberg says this, it is weeping over personal sin and also over social evil. Luke 6.21, some of you have already been looking at Luke 6.21 because you know how that uh, paralyzes, parallels the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, and in Luke 6, 21, it says this, Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. 
John R.W. Stott calls this verse a startling paradox. He says it this way, one might say happy are the unhappy. It's a paradox. How can that be, right? And he says prim primarily it is a sorrow of rep repentance. Are you seeing the theme here? He goes on to say it's the second stage of spiritual blessing. The first stage is acknowledging spiritual bankruptcy, and the second sta stage is grieving or mourning over it. Remember I said how the Beatitudes, which we're in right now, they build upon each other. They're progressive in a good way, not how our world uses that word today, but they progress on through each one. Stott goes on to say, confession is one thing, contrition is another. That's a pregnant phrase, isn't it? He reminds us that as we make much of grace, don't make light of sin. I thought of Romans 7.24. You might want to jot this down. Romans 7.24. Oh, what a wretched person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And then one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, Psalm 119, verse 136. It says this. My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. It is such a heavy grief that Luke reverses 621. So let me read 621 again. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. But then we move just down to 625, and look, there's a woe in there. It's heavy grief. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. It's a serious topic. Martin Lloyd-Jones, I mentioned to you guys last week, he has the thickest book just about. On the, on the Sermon on the Mount, he says it's great groaning. It's being burdened about sin and about our condition. When's the last time we were burdened about our sin? We really were burdened about our condition. Furthermore, the Christian also mourns because of the sins of others. And he calls it the state of the world. Now listen, he's been dead for quite a while. The state of the world. I wonder what he would think today, right? Let's reset our minds today. Philippians 3, 8. Yes, everything else is worthless compared to the, with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, listen to what Paul writes. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, rubbish, so that I could gain Christ. So let's summarize here as we think about good grief. First of all, I'm going to talk about the primary and then the secondary. Because so often we look at this or we think about mourning and grief and we always think about the secondary and not the primary. So primarily, Jesus is speaking about mourning over our sinfulness. So don't look around this morning at someone else. Don't compare yourself to someone else. Just allow the Holy Spirit to convict you right now of your own sinfulness. So this is what primarily Jesus is speaking about. And please note, godly sorrow grieves over sin. Hear me. He, godly sorrow does not grieve over the consequences of it. Or even worse, godly sorrow does not grieve over the fact 
that we got caught, okay? It's much, amen, it's much deeper than that. It is much deeper than that. Repentance always involves agreeing with God about our sin. Are you hearing me? Are you hearing me? Run into people all the time who are not willing to agree with God about their sin. Well, that's not sin. They could go on and on. Or the Bible doesn't speak about that. Just on and on and on and on. Listen, we should mourn what we are and what we do. Now, we love 1 John 1, 9, right? Many of you could quote that if we confess our sins. But let's look at 1 John 8, 9, and 10. Look at what's in front of verse 9. Look at what comes after verse 9 and see if there's not a seriousness, if there's not a good grief that needs to occur when it comes to sin, our own sin. Beginning in verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Is that clear enough? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Wow. Well, how can that be? Well, it's because of sin. And people deal with this grief in a variety of ways. And I'm going to give you four things here and the fourth one is the only one that matters really, okay? So, so how do people mourn or how do they deal with their own personal sin, their condition? Going back to verse 3, their spiritual poverty. Number one is denial. Have you ever heard of that? Don't deny that it's not out there. Denial. I thought you might laugh at that. We're getting serious. All right. Denial. You know, that's the person that just, said, that just smiles. They hide their sin. They hide their problem. We do it at church, don't we? Come on. Don't we do it at church? Before we walk in the door, we park our car and we walk in and we put on our church mask. Now, I've done it before. Have any of you ever done it before? I have not, not only confessed to God before I come to church before. There's times I needed to confess to my wife. There's times I needed to confess to my children. But I was in a hurry I did not go with the prompting of God, and I put on the church mask and came right into church. Have you done it? Oh, oh yeah. Yes, we have. Okay? That's one way people do that. And, and they, they can put on all kinds of masks. The mask at work, the grocery store mask, the neighborhood mask. All of, they're all the same mask. They're in denial over their sin problem and their sinfulness. The second way people deal with this type of grief is what I call ability. So we have denial, now we have ability. And the person who tries to deal with it uh, with ability, they will admit it and they will try to change themselves. And that never lasts, it never works. I don't care how great your ability is, you can try and try and try, but you can't profoundly change yourself when it comes to your sinful condition. And then number three is a rough one, they quit. Denial, ability, quit. This person recognizes their sinfulness and they just give up. They say it's hopeless, I'm hopeless. They do drastic things. Think Judas in the Bible. That's pretty drastic. 
But then we get the fourth way of dealing with this grief, and it's called repentance. So we have denial, ability, quit, repent. And as we say today, those of us who are Star Wars fans, this is the way. This is the way. Repentance. Oh, that we might grieve over our sin. Church, you got to hear me. Oh, that we would grieve over it. May it be a grief, according to the Scripture, 2 Corinthians, a grief that leads to repentance and salvation. Now, let me just stop for a minute. I don't have to tell you whether you're watching online or whether you're here today. I don't have to tell you that you need to repent. If you've lived on this planet very long at all, you know that you are a sinner. You know that you are frail. You know you've made mistakes. Call whatever word you want it. You've missed the mark. You, and you can agree with the Bible because it says we're all sinners. We've all missed the mark of holiness. And there's a penalty for that. It's death, spiritual death. We know this. It's part of the gospel. And God knows this. So don't look at me and say, well, preacher, you're just trying to tell me something new. Listen, anyone, especially if you're an adult, you know you're a sinner. You're thinking right now of things that you've done in your life, and maybe you're wondering, why am I here today? Perhaps you're here today for God to remind you of that and to know the good news of Jesus Christ, that God had a rescue plan, and he loved the world so much, that's you, that's you, that's you, that he sent his one and only son to die for your sin. And he rose on the third day, and he conquered sin and death. He conquered your sin. He conquered your spiritual death. He conquered Satan. He conquered your grave. He conquered all those things. And he offers to you life with him. That's the good news. And I want you to know that today. You can't be comforted until you get to that point. So I want to ask you today, is the conviction of God on you today? That you might really finally consider your own personal sinfulness and God would reveal it to you today and it would lead without regret to repentance that leads to salvation. Now some of you keep saying, Pastor, it seems like I hear this almost every week. Of course you do because if you have good news Don't assume that everyone is saved, right? Give the good news to the people. And so we give it. What about you today? Could you have that good grief that leads to repentance? Now, Christians, you're not off the hook. Let me remind you that mourn here in this language right here in this verse right here, mourn is a present participle. Some of y'all close your Bibles. You say, I'm sick of this English stuff. Don't give that to me. What does a present participle mean? It means continuous action. Blessed are those who mourn. It's not just at that moment that leads to repentance and salvation, but it continues on and on. And I'm not talking about mourning for the neighbor across the street right now. I'm talking about we continue to mourn over our sin. Christian, are you doing that? Let me tell you, it was a hard week as I dealt and wrestled with this verse. God continued to bring up sin in my life. And I pray that you get in on it. 
And you get some of it here today. He continued to say, you have an attitude that is sinful. You said something and you thought nothing of it. It was sinful. On and on and on, God reminds us, oh, church, that we would be willing to examine ourselves and let the Holy Spirit speak into our lives right now and convict us, even right now, yes, we're saved, but of our own personal sin. I've told you before, the scariest person on the planet to me is not the gang leader, it's not the serial killer, it's the Christian who continually tells me everything is perfect. Well, you just lied right there. And they've got it all together, there's nothing wrong, we never had argu- I've never had an argument with any of my whole life, I've never thought this or that, come on, come on, denial, ability. No, we need to repent. So I just want to encourage you. This is real. Scripture is alive, is it not? It pierces all the way into us, doesn't it, according to Scripture? So much, it goes even into the bone and the marrow. I mean, that's as far as you can go. And I've experienced that this week, and I pray that you would experience that even today. Well, Pastor, that's not a very nice thing to say on Mother's Day. I'm sorry. Blessed are they who mourn and mourn and continually mourn okay that's primary secondary real quick I just want to let you know that this grief also includes sorrow because of the world's appalling condition but I spoke a long time before I ever got to this because so often Christians listen to me we get the very very secondary application and we miss the primary application so don't miss it don't go I've been waiting for this don't do that don't do that. Don't pick up your mirror and point it all out to everyone else and not on yourself. But secondarily, we do want to acknowledge that it includes sorrow because of the world's appalling condition. Listen, something got leaked into the news recently. Are you familiar with it? You are? If you're not, you should be. It had something to do with Roe versus Wade. And let me tell you something, I was just a boy, so I did not understand what happened in 1973. But a lot of you did. But I didn't quite understand that. But I'm going to tell you, over the decades, myself, and along with many people, perhaps many people in this room, have mourned and mourned and continue to mourn over the legalization of abortion. In fact... Are you aware that up to, we have had legally since 1973 up to 63 million abortions. Now I'm not here to condemn someone who has received an abortion. That's not what I'm here to do. I'm here to proclaim that there's a better way and that we should mourn over the appalling conditions of our world And we should have influence. You know how you have influence in this area? One person at a time. Get involved with someone's life. Serve with CareNet and other groups. Take someone along and help them out. Influence, especially ladies, but also men. Do discipleship. Show them that there's a better way. That life is precious. Teach them about Psalm 139 and other things. Okay? So secondarily, this grief, it's just how relevant is that today with what we're experiencing right now in our society? 
We grieve, we have sorrow because of the world's appalling condition. But listen, church, it's so much more than that. We also secondarily grieve over our world's rejection of the Savior. That's more important. And even more important is this. We also have godly sorrow, good grief, over the doom of those in our world who refuse God's mercy. Are you aware of the doom that is coming today for thousands upon ten thousands of people who will die in our country and around the world today without any hope? And they will head straight for eternity, separated from God. They'll head straight to a place the Bible calls hell. You ever heard of it? You won't see it in print very much anymore. You won't, you know, usually having a conversation like that across the fence, are you? But maybe we should. When's the last time we mourned, had good grief, godly sorrow over the doom of those who refuse his mercy? And here's how I wrote it. Listen. When is the last time you stopped complaining about our culture and started praying about the eternal doom that is facing so many? The problem is not the appalling condition in the world. The problem is not our culture, what's going on. The problem is that lost people are acting like lost people, and when lost people die, they go to hell. That should change what we're doing. Don't complain. Get involved. Don't complain. Pray. Don't complain. Witness the good news, your personal testimony as well, to others. It's okay. And it's okay for people to know and see your mourning. Jesus is a good example of that. He showed us grief, did he not? Shortest verse in the Bible. John eleven thirty five. 35, you remember it? I learned it in Sunday school when I was a kid. Jesus wept. Hmm. Okay, you got it? Are we good? Primarily, secondarily. But why would I call this good grief? Well, let's look at the second part of the verse. Blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted. Now, what does this comfort mean? Comfort is the comfort of forgiveness and salvation. Comfort is the comfort of forgiveness and salvation. It can only come from God. Isaiah 40, first two verses. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. You see, there is joy in the house of the Lord. We sing about it today. Joy comes with what God does in response to our sorrow over our sin. Did you hear that? It's not your friend you're confiding in. Or your mama you're confiding in. Or someone else who's been through the same thing you've been through. All okay things. Listen, ultimately it is what God does, not someone else. In fact, some of you have been going through your whole life looking for someone else to do this for you. When God has been there all along and he is the one who will do it for you. He is the one who will comfort. Is that not true? Look at the relationships people are in. Look at the confusion our world is in. Look at uh, drugs 
and alcohol and substance, all these things for comfort, when it is God is the one who comforts. The joy in comfort comes from what He does in response to our sorrow over our sin. You see, godly sorrow brings godly forgiveness, which brings happiness and joy because we are forgiven. It's almost logical. Do you see it? Wow. Mourners over sin are blessed. They can read this verse because mourners over sin have their sins forgiven. Amen? Martin Lloyd-Jones said it this way. The man who truly repents as the result of the work of the Holy Spirit upon him is a man who is certain to be led to the Lord Jesus Christ. I love that. This is not only true at conversion, it is something that continues to be true about the Christian. Now, I love the Amplified Bible. We're almost done. I love the Amplified Bible, but I rarely read it in church. You know why? Because it's Amplified. It's long. But I want to read from the Amplified. I love some of these descriptors. James chapter 4, write it down. James chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. Come close to God, and He will come close to you. Recognize that you are sinners. Get your soiled hands clean. Realize that you have been disloyal, wavering individuals with divided interests and purify your hearts of your spiritual adultery. As you draw near to God, be deeply penitent and grieve, even weep over your disloyalty. Let your laughter be turned to grief and your mirth to dejection and heartfelt shame for your sins. Humble yourselves, feeling very insignificant in the presence of the Lord, and He will exalt you. He will lift you up and make your lives significant. Did you catch all the He wills in there? It is what God does. It is what God does. I want you to see that picture today. Oh, that I have been comforted this week. Listen, don't feel sorry for me. As God has revealed sin in my life, he has comforted me as I've grieved and mourned over that. Might that be the case for you today? And for our world as we can consider its condition. Now, in stark contrast to this, is this fact. There is no comfort for the world. Are you hearing me? I, there's no perfect law. There's no perfect edict. There's no wand that you can wave. There is no comfort for the world. None. Any comfort you might think that we see is temporary. Scripture calls it fleeting. It will not last. Only the comfort that comes from God, the savor of souls, as people mourn over their sin and over others' sin. So in closing, the best sermon ever reminds us that we are to grieve, mourn over spiritual bankruptcy and sin. So how do we develop this? Five things, and we're done. I'm going to comment briefly, but... I'm going to say them twice each so you can write them down if you'd like to. How do we do this? Number one, embrace God and his word. Let me say it again for those of you who are writing. Embrace God and his word. What does that mean? 
Obey him. Do it. Do what he says. Do what he prompts. Okay, are we good with that? Number two, don't love or hold on to your sin. Don't love or hold on to your sin. Over the years, I have dealt with many people. And I, I got to the point, let me, I'll just tell you a, a counseling practice that I have. You only get a, a few times. And if something doesn't change, you got to go see someone else. Because I'm wasting my time and your time. Or, or perhaps you need someone with much more skills and knowledge, right? But here's what happens most of the time. That person who I'm counseling loves their sin. Or they hold on to their sin. They don't want to let it go. So that's number two. Number one, embrace God and his word. Don't love or hold on to your sin. Number three, ask God to remove the pride from your life. Often that is the problem. Ask God to remove the pride from your life. Well, what does that mean, Lamar? Ask the person who says, oh, there's nothing wrong with me. That's pride. What sin? Well, let's talk about that. Is that really a sin? Pride. So that's number three. Ask God to remove pride from your life. Number four, don't procrastinate. The time to grieve, the time to confess is now. It is not in Sunday school. It is not on the drive home. It is not later today. The time to grieve and confess is now. Number four, don't procrastinate. Do you want this good grief? Do you want God's comfort to come to you? Last one, don't despair. Because after you look at the first four, you go, there's no way. No, number five, don't despair. Listen, ask God for help. Believe God. Can we believe, can we believe this verse? We spend a lot of time on the mourn part, but there's a comfort part as well. Can we believe it? 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you. In just a moment, we're going to have a response time. I'll be right down here. I've got some friends that will be here as well. But I'm going to call the church to action today. Listen, stay with me. I'm going to call you to action today. I'm going to call us to an altar call. I'm going to ask right now that you would allow God's Holy Spirit. He's called the Comforter. Have you heard of that? I'm going to ask that you would allow the Comforter to work in your life right now. I don't want you to come forward with this altar call if you're only concerned with your daughter or your son or your grandchild or whatever. You must first be concerned with your own sin and allow God to comfort you in that and then in others. So I'm going to pray. We're going to stand. And I'm going to ask you to come forward if you're able and spend time with the Lord. If you would prefer to do it in your seat, just turn that into an altar right there and do it. I realize some of you can't come forward. You can do it right there where you are. And we're going to spend a little bit of time doing that. And by all means, we're up front here if you need prayer. We're here for you. If you have all of a sudden for the first time maybe mourned the fact that you are a sinner lost, headed to hell, and you need God's forgiveness, we're here for you as well. All right, let's pray. God, please, I ask that you would call your church to action today.
that we would grasp how blessed we are when we mourn and how you will comfort us. In the name of Jesus, we pray.